0: Well, I think most of you probably know me, but for those who don't, my name is uh, Ryan Wright. I am the uh, youth pastor here at Grace Point. And uh, as part of my role, one of the fun parts of the job is once every couple of years, I get to go with teens and play paintball. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever been playing pa- if you've ever played paintball before. I just want to see. So we got a few. Let me paint you a little picture of what paintball is like. Imagine you and 32, 50 of your closest best friends on a field with some inflatable bunkers. And then everyone has guns, but instead of being real guns, these guns, uh, instead of shooting bullets, they shoot little spheres, and those spheres uh, contain paint in them. When you get shot with a paintball, it explodes, and that's how you tell that you're hit and you're out of the game. You know, you have a splotch of maybe yellow or red or blue or whatever color they're using. When you get hit with a paintball, uh, it does hurt. It leaves bruises, sometimes welts, and sometimes, in worst-case scenarios, it even gets a little bit bloody. Is everybody ready to go now? Sign up is in the back. So I get to do this. This is part of my job, and, you know, sometimes it's fun, and sometimes I just uh, get hurt a lot because, you know, I'm not super athletic, and quite frankly, who doesn't want to shoot their pastor, right? So, uh, you know, I was very surprised then when I pulled up a news article on my uh, cell phone that said that there was a British paintball company called UK Paintball, And they decided that they needed a paintball tester. This was a full-time job for a very special individual who would stand and get shot with paintballs as their full-time job. Because you really have to know how they break and what better target than a live one, right? They didn't think they would get many applicants. After getting 10,000 applicants for the job, the CEO said, I never really thought that many people would want to get shot for a living. And as he read through the applications, they were just kind of funny and silly and ridiculous, but many of them were serious. One person, in all honesty, said, You should pick me to be your paintball tester because I'm really fat and I'll be an easy target to hit. (laughs) You know, when I read articles like that, I realize that our world needs more wisdom. But if you're like me, you've found that oftentimes in your own life, you've had a hard decision to make. And maybe you prayed, you read your Bible, you tried your best, but you just didn't know what the right decision was. And a lot of times, life, maybe it's school, maybe it's parenting, maybe it's your job. It feels like instead of making wise and good decisions, you feel like you're rolling the dice and taking your chances. But what if it didn't have to be that way? I mean, all of us know that if you make good decisions, good things happen. If you make good decisions, it sets you up for success spiritually, occupationally, uh, relationally. It can be a great thing. But if you make bad decisions, very bad things can happen to you and the people you love. It's 2015, and I want to give you a head start on your year. When I say go, I want you to find a partner somewhere in the room. It can be somebody you drove with, somebody you didn't. If it's somebody you didn't drive with, I'm going to give you uh, bonus points for, you know, going outside your comfort zone. Okay, so bonus points. Exciting. Um, But what I want you to share is, I want you to share one challenge Or decision that you think you're going to have to make in 2015. One challenge or decision. If you have notes, uh, they they, hopefully they were passed out. I don't see a lot of people with them. But if you don't have notes, uh, I'll repeat it again. The question is on there. It is one challenge or decision you face in 2015. On your mark, get set, go. I'm going to give you 58 seconds, and I'm timing. Now that you've had a chance to share one decision and one challenge, turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And in chapter 1, what I love about Proverbs is much like a fortune cookie. I don't know if you've ever been to a Chinese restaurant, but I love going for the fortune cookies. I don't know about you recently, but most of the time it seems like they're not really so much fortune cookies as advice cookies. You know what I mean? Um, You know, a man with many friends is blessed all day long. You know, it's just, that's really not a fortune. That's just a saying, right? Well, tonight, what I love about Proverbs, it's short bites of wisdom that are easy to apply, that are incredibly easy. You don't have to do a lot of work to apply them. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 through 4. We're going to go through verse 9. We're going to go through verse 9, and what we're going to look at tonight is some misconceptions people have about wisdom, how you get it. And then we're going to look at how you actually get wisdom, all by studying this chapter. I'll read verses 1 through 4, Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. What I love about Proverbs, as opposed to fortune cookies, the thing I don't like about fortune cookies is every time I open them, it never seems to come true. In the rare chance that it's actually a fortune, it doesn't happen. I remember one time I was sitting at a Chinese restaurant with my family. I was in high school. I opened it up, and I peeled it back, and I remember it said, you will get invited to a karaoke party tonight. I was like, man, somebody just went for it when they were writing those fortunes. They are like, I'm just going to take a guess. It's going to happen somewhere if we make a million of these things, right? To this day, I haven't been invited to a karaoke party. It's okay. I can't sing. If pitch were arrows, I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, so don't invite me to a karaoke party. But the thing I love about this is that Proverbs, much of it was written by Solomon, and if you read on later, there's other people that contribute to it. There's there's men of Hezekiah, there's a guy named Agur, there's a guy named Lemuel who contribute to Proverbs. But the majority of it was written by Solomon, who Scripture tells us was the wisest man to ever live. I mean, imagine with me for a second, I've always wanted to be able to play basketball. Um, my skill is pretty much, I can tell you what a basketball is, right? And I know that I'm supposed to dribble it, and I know it's supposed to go into the bucket. I stopped there. But imagine for a second, if you wanted to learn a skill like, say, basketball, and all of a sudden, LeBron James walked in this room and said, Ryan, I know I'm a busy guy, but I want to teach you how to play basketball. I would be an idiot to say, I don't really want to learn from you. I'll figure it out on my own. No thanks, LeBron. You know, everybody would look at me and say, well, if you want to learn basketball, you're being an idiot, right? Proverbs was written by the wisest man Scripture tells us. And even more importantly, we know that Scripture is the inspired Word of God. And so we can trust what it has to say about wisdom. And there's some misconceptions. One of the first misconceptions we have about wisdom is that the goal of wisdom is not worldly success. In our culture, in our day and age, a lot of people think that wisdom is about getting the most money, being the most successful, having the best job, having the best of what the world would say is happiness and success. In Proverbs verse 3, if you look right in there at verse 3, it says, For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. The goal of Proverbs is not to make us successful, not to make us wealthy, not to, make us, uh, p- not to give us personal happiness, but for us to be able to do what is right and good over and over again. Now, don't get me wrong. There are skills in Proverbs. If you read Proverbs, it will teach you about leadership. Proverbs can teach you about how to handle your money. Proverbs can teach you how to handle conflict. If you do those things well... There's a good chance you'll get promoted at work. There's a good chance you're going to do good at school. There's a good chance you're going to do better in sports. And so there is a lot in Proverbs that will help you become more successful. At the same time, all of us probably know somebody who we consider godly and wise. And their career doesn't always go well. They don't always have the success, the wealth, the money that they want to. And it doesn't mean that they're not wise. We just know that sometimes bad things happen to good people. God may bless you with wealth and success for following his word, but the ultimate goal of God's word is to make us more like Christ. I love Romans 8, uh, I believe it's 828, that says, For God works for the good of all those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's this idea that God takes bad things in our life and makes them good. But what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if you lose $5, you'll find $10 later. It doesn't mean if you lose one job two weeks later, you'll get a new job, making $20,000 more a year. It doesn't mean that if you suffer a whole horrible tragedy, that you're going to write a best-selling book. All those things may happen, but that's not what that Bible verse is talking about. If you read that verse, it says God takes bad things and turns them to good. But if you read on in verse 29, it tells you the reason for it. It says to be transformed. It uses the language of being transformed into the image of Christ. The goal of wisdom is not just for my personal happiness. The goal of wisdom is to be like Christ. And by being like Christ, then we get the joy and the peace, not of what the world has to offer, but a lasting peace that comes from God. Misconception number two. You don't have to be smart to make wise decisions. In verse 4, it talks about Proverbs giving prudence to the simple. What does that mean? In Hebrew, the word for simple uh, essentially means to be dumb, gullible, or even prone to making evil decisions. The thing that I, I love about Proverbs is that when I was a teenager, I really felt like certain people had it and certain people didn't in making smart decisions. There were people that were destined to be lawyers and CEOs and just, you know, uh, college professors. And those were the smart people. And everybody else really just was on the shallow end of the gene pool. And therefore, they were never going to make smart decisions in their life. There are people that think, you know what, I've made bad decision after bad decision. I've really messed up my life and there's nowhere to go. But the awesome thing about God's Word and about what God wants to do in your life through His Word is it doesn't matter how smart you are, genius or dumb. Privileged or not, if you've made good decisions all your life, if you've made bad decisions, God can teach you how to make wise decisions. Misconception number three is that you don't have to be old to make wise decisions. Uh, All of us have somebody in our life who we would consider one of the wisest people we ever met. For me, that was always my dad. He was one of the, the smartest guys I knew. When I was in high school and when I was in college, I really just started to realize how smart my dad was. It seemed like he always knew the right decision. Not only for his own life, but when I was dealing with a problem, I would go to him and it would just seem like he always knew the right answer. And I remember one time we were in the car driving somewhere and I just looked over at my dad and said, Dad, what what is it that, that made you so wise? And he looked at me and kind of got a smile on his face. He said, well, I'm kind of old and... To be honest with you, when I was younger, I made just about every mistake possible, and eventually I just kind of ran out. It was left with only the smart decisions. Now, my dad was, you know, for the most part joking, but a lot of us feel like there's a truth to that, that to be wise, you have to be old, that in order to make smart decisions, you have to mess up everything first, and that's not the case. Uh, You'll find this hard to believe, but I've never put my hand on a burning stove. But I am still pretty confident that it's not a good idea. You don't have to make every mistake to make the right decision. Can you learn from your mistakes? Absolutely. And as we grow older, can we become wiser and wiser? Absolutely. We're going to talk. This scripture tells us exactly how to do it. But I want you to know that as a youth pastor, I know plenty of wise teens. I remember when I sat with a teen, and he had just found out that he wasn't going to be starring on his sports team, that he wasn't going to get the playing time he wanted. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, man, that stinks. And he looked at me... And he said, uh, well, you know what? That's okay. I've realized that my God's purpose for me being on this team is to tell people about Christ. So it really doesn't matter what position I start. How many of us have had setbacks in our family, our job, and had that kind of perspective? I remember a kid, and he would be okay with me sharing his name. Many of you know him and his stories all over Facebook. Brandon Williamson. He started coming to our church two years ago, and he didn't know Christ. And and his, his life, he would tell you himself that he was making a lot of decisions that weren't good for him. Uh, most sins that you can think of, he would say himself that I've done them before. It was about, actually, almost a year ago. It was our Wednesday night dodgeball and pizza night in January, which is coming up this Wednesday for all the, all the teens. And I did a little devotion on spiritual gifts. And afterwards, Brandon Williamson came up to me and he said, Pastor Ryan... I feel like I'm supposed to accept Christ tonight. Tonight's the night. And I said, Well, Brandon, I spoke on spiritual gifts tonight. You'll have to accept Christ next week. <laughs> now, I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. Some of you thought I was serious. Uh, but I took him. We had enough adults there. So we sat down with him. We talked to him. He accepted Christ that night. And his life has been radically changed. He since moved down south. But we, a lot of kids, uh, myself and a lot of other people, still contact him through Facebook. And it's almost every week he talks about something that God has been teaching him, how he's growing in his faith. It's been amazing to watch. I also knew this kid who was uh, a senior in high school. And his family was one of those that they came on Christmas and Easter, uh, you know, on a good year. And that was about it. But he decided that for the first time in his life he wanted to get to know God. But he was a busy kid. He was a good student. He was uh, captain of the football team, and I also believe captain of the baseball team. But every Wednesday night, just about, I want to say about 95 99% of the time, he was here. He was here on Sunday morning, and he came on Sunday night. And slowly but surely, he got to know God. Despite the fact that there were people in his life that wanted him to be a successful uh, you know, football player, successful baseball player, and were asking him, Why are you doing that? Why are you going there all the time? He made the right decision when people around him were making all the wrong decisions. Young people can make smart decisions. You can be wise no matter what your age is. The reverse is also true, though. And some of you know that you can be old, and you don't actually have to become wise. A lot of you know someone who, the older they get, the more wrong decisions they make. Time and time again, they keep doing the wrong thing. And you think, eventually you think they would learn, but it doesn't happen. Wisdom isn't a guaranteed for anyone. It takes conscious decisions over and over again. So what does it take to be wise? Well, in a minute, I'm going to read verses 5 through 9, but I asked a couple people to hold mics for me, and I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear who in your, who in your life would you consider wise and why. Uh, if you raise your hand, somebody will come to you with a mic, they'll have you stand, speak into it, and uh, we'll give you about 30 seconds to a minute to share. Somebody in your life who you would consider wise and why you consider them wise. I would consider my husband, Scott, who's counting money tonight, wise. I I think, not growing up, because I didn't know him growing up, but when we got married, he's very even-keeled, um, and, you know, I feel like I'm on the roller coaster, you know, and I always thought, oh, I just wanted to be just like him. Well, I know that God did not create me that way, but he is very wise and has given me uh, good food for thought throughout the years. Has God, I believe God has gifted him with discernment, and that's been a help to me. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. Christine. Christine. I'm just going to say Vicki from the office. She's been kind of a mentor to me, and I love her. She's great. She's not here tonight, but she's really helped me along in my spiritual path. She's an extremely wise woman. Awesome. Yeah, Caden. Caden. Really to tell you guys there's lots of people and it's hard to pick, but I actually say Pastor Katrina because she's always been there for everybody in the children's church. She makes it so fun back there and to know Christ. That's awesome. Good stuff. So what does Scripture say? Let me read it. Verses five through nine. And I'll actually go through verse ten. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. There's three things in here that as I've been reading and studying the scripture, there's three things that I want to talk about in terms of how you can become wise. The first one is have a learner's heart. In verse 5, as I began studying this, it kind of surprised me because I tend to think that if you're wise, then you're good to go. It's the people who aren't wise who need to learn. For the people who don't already have knowledge, they're good to go. It's time to go. And the people who don't have knowledge, for them to learn. But this verse switches up what I would expect to see. It says, let the wise add to their... It says things like, let the wise become wiser. Let the smart become smarter. Add to their knowledge. You see, the first step towards becoming wise is having a learner's heart. I'm a parent. Some of you know that. Some of you don't. I have a a three-year-old who's named Toby and a four-month-old who is named Huck, and I'm starting to learn that no one is born with wisdom. Right? I... I I was so excited as a parent. It was a Sunday morning. It was the children's musical, and I was so excited that my kid was going to be singing for the first time. I mean, I don't know. Um, for those of you that are parents, or maybe older, you know, parents, you can understand this. The first time I saw my kid involved in the service, I couldn't see. I almost just instinctively pushed the person right next to me on the floor so I could run in the center of the aisle and watch my kid. And all he was doing was dragging a palm branch, you know, behind him, right? And I was ready to like kill just so I could see my kid. And I'm like, my kid's involved in church. This is amazing, right? And so I was so excited, and people came to me during the morning, the children's Christmas musical. He was going to sing, so this was even bigger than dragging a palm branch, right? And I was so excited. Somebody came up to me, and they're like, I saw your kid in first service. I couldn't be there because I had youth stuff I had to take care of. And they said, your son was so good. He sang with all the songs. He did all the motions. He was up in front. He was like the only kid I could hear. And as a parent, you know, I was like, my kid's so awesome. He's so smart. He's so spiritual. He's so singing the songs. And then I went to the second service, and uh, this is what I saw. <laughs> My wise, beautiful, intelligent kid picking his nose the whole time. But you know what? You know, if you got to pick, you've got to pick. I guess, right? I very quickly am learning as a parent uh, you don't have to teach kids how to be bad. You have to teach them how to be good. You don't get born into this world being wise. But I think it's not only important for little kids to be ready to learn. I don't think it's only ready for kids, uh, for teenagers to be ready to learn. I don't just think it's young adults who need to gain more wisdom, who need to learn, who need to grow. I think it's every single one of us. A couple weeks ago, Pastor uh, Brady mentioned the Peter Principle. What the Peter Principle is, is it states that uh, in a job, people tend, in a company, people will often get promoted to their place of... Incompetence and it's not a proven fact But what they mean is is that you know a guy starts out in the mailroom He does a great job in the mailroom then he gets promoted to maybe Uh, you know in charge of accounts. He's in charge of accounts, right and he's doing a good job there So he gets promoted now he's going to be in charge of 20 accounts as opposed to 10 accounts and then he does a really good job He gets promoted to 50 accounts and then he does so good there He gets promoted in, to be Uh the account manager in charge of all the guys managing accounts in the whole company and he's terrible at it, right? It's out of his depth. He doesn't know what he's doing. He was so good. All of a sudden, he got promoted to a job that he wasn't good at, and now he's going to stay there until the day he retires. And the Peter Principle comes from a book that was written kind of funny, just warning companies that if you keep promoting people who are doing good at their job, what you might end up with is a bunch of people not good at their jobs, right? And it's kind of scary because like, if you, you know, if you work or if you have a hobby, then you start to think – I'm going to excel in life until I find a place where I'm incompetent and spend the rest of my life there. So exciting. Thanks, Pastor Ryan. Let's go eat, right? So, uh, you know, what are we to do? The trick is, is that God has given us minds capable of learning and given us his word to instruct us so that no matter what you face, you can continue to learn and grow. My hope is that when my son is singing in the teen choir, he will not be the one picking his nose, right? That's my hope. By the time he's an adult, I'm hoping he's not picking his nose. Although, I don't know. There seems to be lots of people who do it in their car and think you can't see them, right? That seems to be a common thing. But, hopefully, he'll at least learn to hide it most of the time or at least get tented windows, right? I mean, he can learn still. Something Dave Ramsey says that I think is also incredibly true and goes along with this Peter principle. Dave Ramsey says that you will be the same person in ten years except for the books you read and the people you know. When I was a teen... I looked up to my adult leaders in the youth group. I looked up to Ron and Karen Kaiser, who taught Sunday school, and they seemed like they had it all together. And I remember thinking, when I get to Ron and Karen's age, then I'm going to have it together spiritually. I'm going to know what I'm doing. Then I felt called to be a pastor, and so I went to undergrad, and then I went to seminary. I had seven years of religious education. I learned my Bible. I learned Greek and Hebrew, and I thought, man, when I get out, church is going to be so lucky to have me. And then about a week into the job, I realized I had no idea what I was doing and wondered why I paid for seven years of education, right? A lot of us face that with our jobs. I remember turning 30 and a couple people asking me, how do you feel about turning 30? Are you excited? I was like, no, not at all. I'm kind of bummed. They assumed I was sad because I thought I was old, because I wasn't physically as capable as I was at 25. I've never been coordinated, so that's not going to change, right? Um, You know, if I get older and get coordinated, awesome, first time for everything. But I... I remember looking at me and being like, no, they're like, why don't you want to be 30? I was like, I really thought by the time I was 30 I was going to have everything together. And they laughed at me. They laughed at my face, you know, instead of like being sympathetic and saying, it's okay, it comes at 32. These were people who were 40, 50, older and older. And they just said, I, I'm not surprised. I didn't have it figured out at 30 either. And I thought, well, when did you have it figured out? And usually people would tell me, when I get there, I'll let you know. We all need to learn. And for me, when I first found that out, that was incredibly frustrating. God, I'm tired, of, I'm tired of growing. I'm tired of learning. It hurts. It's painful. I hate failure. I hate looking like I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, God, I'm 30. I wear a tie to work sometimes, right? I tuck in my shirt. Sure, I wear jeans, but I'm a youth pastor, right? But I'm like, surely at some point I, I can stop growing. And then I began to realize the benefits that come your way with a teachable spirit for teenagers, what I hear all the time, and I don't know that there's a person in this room that didn't think it when they were your age. I hear, I hate going to school because everything I'm learning, I don't need to know. I don't need to know any of this. You know, sometimes you say it to your teacher, sometimes you don't. But if you're a parent, if your kid ever said that, anybody here? I think it's pretty much, yeah, most of us, a couple of us are like, yes, my kid said it to me. Uh, but most of us have had that happen where we were in school and we thought, I don't need to know any of this. When I was in school, I was really good at math. That was the thing that I was naturally good at. And so I thought, and I wasn't that good with people, so I thought, okay, I'm going to do math my whole life. I'm going to sit in a cubicle, and I'm going to do like math equations or maybe be like a math teacher or a math professor or do something where I don't have to interact with people. And so I don't need English because I'm never going to ta- communicate to people. I don't need history because I never need to understand any kind of documents that are historical. I'm going to have a job in a cubicle and never have to talk to anyone. didn't work out too well for me. As a teenager, I would encourage you to have a teachable spirit because, number one, none of us know what we're going to need to know. Not tomorrow, not in five years, not in ten years. We don't know what we're going to need to know. I don't know what I need to know as a youth pastor and I'm 30, got two degrees in it, and there's still things that are going to come that I don't know how to deal with and I better be teachable. The other benefit, if you're a teenager and you have a teachable spirit, it will be easier to get good grades. And why care about getting good grades? I mean – You hate to hear this, but good grades open doors, bad grades close them. doesn't mean if you get a bad grade here and there, you're a bad Christian. God doesn't love you. We always don't do as well as we want in life. But as a general rule, good grades open doors, bad grades tend to close them. But what about for young adults? Uh, I remember that um, when I worked for a summer at a general contracting company, the guys who got promoted to project manager to this position or that, I started to realize they weren't always the best construction workers. They weren't always the guys with the most actual years on the job. A lot of the guys who got promoted were the guys who were still teachable. A lot of the guys who the bosses wanted to work with were the guys who would listen to advice. The guys who knew they didn't have it all figured out. And as an adult, as you get older and older, I find that I need to keep a teachable spirit more than ever because I still find myself making mistakes, except sometimes they tend to cost more as an adult. You tend to deal with incredibly serious things, your job, your health, raising a family, things that are not easy. And every single one of us needs to have a learner's heart because we don't know it all yet. And God can teach us so much more. So how can I have a learner's heart? There's a couple things that people have suggested to me that I would recommend to you. When I was at Mount Vernon, a guy came and preached on like the whole book of Proverbs. And what he told us was... If you find yourself needing more wisdom, start reading one proverb a day. Just add it to your devotions or whatever you're doing. Read one proverbs a day. You'll get done in a month. There's 31 of them. And you will find yourself getting wiser and wiser. You said, I know you're young, and I know you feel like you don't know what's going on in the world. You don't know how to get a job. But I promise you, you read proverbs, a proverb one a day, and you will get wiser. I guarantee it. The other thing that I would recommend to you is continue to not only read God's word... But find wisdom in books that you would never encounter apart from it. Uh, one of the guys that I've, I've really respected, a guy that I worked with who was a passionate Christian in that general contracting company I mentioned, said to me that in his church the one thing he told, he wasn't a pastor, he was just a lay leader, said, I tell all the lay people that you should find a book in your Christian life, several books, but at, at any given time you should be reading not only your Bible but another book about your Christian faith. I don't know that I I wouldn't make that a legalistic rule. I don't say that you have to do that. God might tell you it's not the time for you to do that. But I would definitely suggest reading the wealth of wisdom that is not only contained in the books that are out nowadays that you can find at your Christian bookstores, but books like one of my favorite has always been Mere Christianity, written by C.S. Lewis. Uh, Some of you know him as the guy who wrote The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Um, Phenomenal books that Christians have read for centuries and found that their understanding of God's Word has grown through it. If you don't like to read... One of the things that I love is audible.com. It's, this is an advertisement. They don't pay me. I don't have like a bumper sticker on my back like a NASCAR or anything like that. But it's for 120 bucks, They will give you eight audiobooks or like ten audiobooks, something like that, per year. And you can listen to them. If you don't like to read, put it in your car when you're driving. You can put it on your iPhone, on a tablet. You can listen to it through your computer. It's a great resource. But I would encourage you to find an area where you need to learn and learn. About that area Whether it's something with your job Whether it's something where you have uh, Where you just find that you have ignorance But how do I know what area of my life I'm supposed to learn I think it's pretty easy Find the area in your life That something's going horribly wrong If you're having trouble with conflict Read sections of the scripture That have to deal with conflict If you're having trouble with finances Read the parts of the bible That have to do with money If you're having trouble uh, with work uh, Find a book a book that seems... Ask some co-workers about a good book they read that helped them with your job. There are so many places where you can get wisdom. Find the place where your life isn't going well, and that's at least one place to start when you're looking for wisdom. So what's the, what's the second thing? That's number one. Number one is have a learner's heart. And number two, the place where all wisdom begins. In verse 7 it says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." When I first became a Christian, and even sometimes now, I struggle with this idea of the Old Testament telling us to fear God. You can turn there with me if you want. If not, I'm just going to read it real quick for you. It's 1 John chapter 4, verses 16-19. through 19. I'm going to begin reading halfway through 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I always used to struggle with passages like that and then passages like the one in our scripture tonight that like, okay, the New Testament is telling me, in First John, John it's telling me, don't fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And then I read Proverbs and it tells me, well, fear God. And there's a couple different solutions I could have. One I could just say, oh, forget it, the Bible's not consistent, right? And just be like, throw it on the ground, you know, go do something else, right? But I don't think that's the case. I could also uh, slip into what was an early heresy in the church and say, well, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. God in the Old Testament was worried about, uh, he was worried about just rules, and he was violent, and he was angry, and he was judgmental, and he was wrathful. In the New Testament, God is all about love and wouldn't ever hurt a bunny or anyone else for disobeying him, right? We could fall into that. But I think what the Scripture is talking about is actually it's more coherent than we might first think. If you look at that passage, as I've been looking at it this week, struggling with talking about fear of God, when a passage in the New Testament clearly says that perfect love drives out fear, I think they're more similar than we think. I think there is one thing in life we should fear. I think we should fear God and God alone. And when the only thing you fear is God, then all of a sudden you begin to understand that He loves you. That you don't have to worry about punishment or wrath or his anger, all of a sudden, this God who deserves our worship, our trembling, this idea that he loves us, then all of a sudden, by fearing God, by respecting him above all else, I don't have to fear anything else. And I don't mean it'll get rid of your fear of spiders or anything like that. But what I do think it means is when you learn to fear God, you don't fear other things as much. This word for fear in Hebrew has three meanings. It can mean this idea of terror or trembling. It can mean the idea of worship. And it can also mean the idea of respect. And if you look in a commentary, they're going to tell you what you do is when you're trying to figure out which fear it is, you look at the context and then you you just make your best guess. But I think the more we tend to think about those three things, this idea of worship, this idea of trembling, and this idea of honor or respect, the more we realize that they are more united than we think they are. I want to show you a picture tonight. It's called the Black Obelisk. It's one of the top ten finds in biblical archaeology there is. There's going to be a picture on the screen. And this obelisk, it doesn't look black. You're like, that's gray. Why is it the black? It's the flash photography. If you see it, it's actually just black, black. It's very hard to make out. And so when they take a picture of it, they lighten it so you can see it. Up at the bottom there is Jehu, king of Israel, that you can read about in Scripture. And the guy... In that he's bowing down to, and I'll have to get this right. I have to read his name because it's not the easiest name to say. It couldn't have been Ben or Roger. It had to be something else. Shalmaneser the third, right? Shalmaneser the third. His friends called him Shammy, not really. I just made that up. But what's going on here is the word is this intersection of fear and trembling, right? But also honor and respect. At some point in his reign. Uh, It appears that Jehu, as Israel often was in those days because of their sin and disobedience, that they had to bow down to the Assyrian kings or the Assyrians would come and conquer them. They would come and bring them tribute. And when you brought a king or a ruler tribute, you would fall down your knees and often kiss either the ground or his feet when you came to a ruler, someone who was more powerful than you. The word that is most used in the Old Testament for worship is also the same word that they would use for bowing down. I love worship. I love singing songs, and worship is absolutely about singing songs passionately to God. But we have to understand: any time we read worship in the Old Testament, passion was a part of it. Singing songs was a part of it, but this was also a part of it. You see, when we come before God, we have to hold two things in unity: one, God loves us, and we can have intimacy with Him. The other one is that he is righteous and holy. And there is a certain amount of trembling and respect that we should have before him. And those two don't have to be enemies. It's not the Old Testament. It's against the New Testament. It's the two bring the flavor out in each other. Right? I mean, think about it for a second. If the God of the Old Testament is the same as the New Testament, this God who can't stand sin, this God who destroys nations, this God who, who punishes people for the sin, this God who cannot stand disobedience... It's also the God who sent his son to die on the cross for you. I like dogs, but one thing about a lot of dogs is the minute they meet you, they're your best friend, right? Like they love you, they want to be around you, they would die for you when they met you four minutes ago, right? You don't really love that dog back a whole lot, right? But think of the God of the universe who created everything, who is holy and righteous and wants his creation to function as he designed it to who does get angry, who in the Old Testament we read stories of wrath, and in the New Testament they're there too. That same God loves us. The beginning to wisdom is fearing God. Because when you fear God, you start to act differently. What you fear will determine so much how you live. If I I fear as a pastor other people's opinions, I'm going to follow God. Or if I fear other people's opinions, I'm going to follow them and not God. I'm going to do what other people want me to as opposed to what God wants me to do. If a teenager or a young adult or someone who's not married fears being alone, they sometimes will often run into the wrong relationship. They'll date the wrong person. They'll marry the wrong person. Sin will enter into their relationships because they fear being alone more than they fear following God or fear not following God. Sometimes people fear not having money. And so when their job tells them to do something not ethical, they just do it because they couldn't possibly lose that job. Sometimes people fear uh, not having enough to go around so much that they make decisions, not based on what God is calling them to do, but what seems the most expedient, quickest, fastest way to get what they want. Fearing God is the beginning of of wisdom. We have to have a learner's heart, but we also have to fear God. What else? We also have to listen to the right voices. This is probably one of my my favorite parts in all of Proverbs, is when it talks about listening to your fathers and mothers. And it's become that way since I've been a parent, right? When I was a teen, I don't know that I would have said that, right? But this passage talks about listening to your father's and mother's instruction. You guys know this. You turn on the TV. This is how other people communicate to you. Um, There are going to be people in your life who tell you what to do, and you should listen to some of them. Psychologists and, and sociologists tell us that, as people, we tend to pick or allow eight to ten people to be big influencers in our life at one time eight to ten people. this is often sometimes referred to as your own personal board of directors. This scripture gives us the idea of who should be influencing us who should be who we should let into our lives to speak truth into it. in this scripture, it mentions mothers and fathers. Well, what does that mean? obviously, it means your biological mother and father. But I think it goes even deeper than that. How many of you, um, for those of you that have children, how many of you would die for your children? No thought, no questions asked, right? If you have a kid, I was in the car one day and I don't like bees. I don't like getting stung by bees. And like 10 bees flew into the car when Toby was there. I grabbed him, you know, ran him into the house, didn't worry about getting stung, didn't even think about the fact that I might get stung. All of a sudden, Three years ago, I would have done nothing but, like, scream like a little girl and run and hid. And then, like, you know, I don't know, maybe called one of you to come help me with my bee infestation, right? But, like, I went into my house, grabbed my son, and instantly I was like, those bees are gone because they mess with my son. Parents will do anything for their children. When you're looking for someone to give you advice, someone to be on your board of directors, make sure it's somebody who cares for you, not for what you can do for them, but because of who you are to them. Make sure it's somebody who cares about you. But more than that, fathers and mothers in, in, in Hebrew, it often means a biological mother or father. But oftentimes, there's actually no word for grandparent. They just use uh, father or mother for grandfather or mother. People in the community who were older and wiser were often referred to as fathers and mothers. They were people who cared, but they were also people whose instruction and wisdom could give you a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. What does that mean? You know, I've had a lot of mentors and I've never told them, thank you for that good advice. It was a garland to my head and a chain on my neck. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. What does that mean? Well, back in those days, a garland to grace your head, and you see this in the Olympics sometimes. If you've ever seen people on the podium with medals, sometimes they will have an olive branch around their head kind of shaped into a crown. A garland to grace your head. In ancient Near Eastern culture, something on your head, a crown or a garland, often meant a symbol of victory or success. The reason I tell teens to listen to their, to their parents is because a lot of times their parents have, have been successful in ways they haven't been yet. Their parents have been there and done that. In the same way, uh, a, 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 a pendant or necklace around your neck carried the idea of protection in that culture. When I talk with teens, i like, Pastor Ryan, you don't understand all the rules I have, all these things that are going on. My parents tell me to do this and that. And parents, I mean, we know we're not always right, right? I've done things with my son and thought, oh, okay, I need to do that differently next time, right? We know we're not perfect. But when we're trying to tell our children to do something, most parents, parents who are fulfilling their role as parents, are doing it because they want to protect and they love their kids. So when you find somebody... When you're looking for somebody to give you advice, to mentor you, find somebody who cares about you. Find somebody who has success in an area that you don't, or a success in an area where you want to have more success, and someone who can help protect you. We're going to wrap up here soon, but to give you an example of how you can look for a mentor, sometimes it's an official mentoring relationship, and sometimes it's just having the humility to ask people questions. To have the humility to say, you know what, I don't know it all, but I, I need some help. When I first arrived here, I was being interviewed for a job. I remember one of the questions at the interview stuck me, struck me as kind of weird. They asked me, uh, are you going to be intimidated by the fact that Pastor Rex is still here? Right. I remember them asking me that. Right. That was one of my interview questions. and I, I knew who Pastor Rex was because I listened to one of his sermons. Before I came, because I just listened to all the sermons that were on the website, because I was being interviewed, figured I should listen to the pastors. And I do remember Rex talking about 100 times skydiving. I don't like getting up on ladders, and their youth pastor, their former youth pastor went skydiving. Um, I also heard about all the awesome, he told a bunch of awesome stories in this one sermon. I was like, man, this guy is so awesome. I was like, and I remember they said that, and I said, well, sort of and sort of not. If you expect me to be the kind of guy who's going to do really well at extreme sports and jump out of planes, then you probably need to find a different youth pastor. That's not really my speed. I just can't do that. If you throw me out of a plane, sure, maybe. But, you know, of my own free will, probably not going to happen. But I, then I looked at him and I said, but you know what? What a great, awesome benefit to have somebody here who's been there, who's done that. And I very quickly realized from the first day at Grace Point that Rex wanted me to be successful. Uh, my first probably three, maybe four years, I was, like, in Rex's office almost every day. Like, knock, knock. Uh, Pastor Rex, do you have time for a question? He's heard me say that, like, 4,000 times probably. And his answer, even if he doesn't have time, is, like, 99.9% of the time, absolutely. My first couple of years, it was every single day. And I wish that I could tell you that, you know, it it, it I didn't, you know, the last time I went to his office, I said, can I ask you a question is every, you know, single month. But it's probably every other week. It's slowed down. I'm learning. I'm growing. But... Pastor Rex has been somebody in my life who I've never sat down and said, Pastor Rex, will you mentor me and meet with me every week for breakfast? And, and that's not a bad relationship to have, not at all. I think those relationships are great. But for me, a lot of times, finding a mentor is saying, Hey, you know what, I know you're really good at this. Could we go out for lunch and I'll ask you three questions? How did you do this? How do you do this? How do you do that? I'll stop in and Pastor Rex, I'll say, Hey, I need help. I don't know this. I'll find parents who have been there and done that and say, How in the world do you potty train your kid? You know, I, I ask them all kinds of questions. In order to get wisdom, you need to have a learner's heart, listen to the right voices, and fear God above all else. Uh, I want to let you know that if you're here tonight and you're thinking, I have mentors, I'm there, I have wisdom, then come find me or Pastor Katrina or find somewhere where you can mentor others. In the youth ministry, we're lucky to have so many mentors. I mentioned Brandon Williamson as a success story of a kid who came to our church, didn't know Christ, and now is living for God. When he came here, he had a whole line of people willing to mentor and help him on different levels. We have sports coaches. We have small group leaders. We have Sunday school teachers. We have people who make food for afterglows. We have design events so that teens build relationships with other Christian teens. If you're here and you're thinking, I might have something to share then find me, Pastor Katrina, or talk to Robin Schmidt about hands-on homework. You might be qualified to help mentor somebody who is younger in the faith than you. How many of you, just a show of hands right now, would say, um, I've been married? Okay. How many of you have raised adult children? Awesome. How many of you have been a Christian for more than six years? Okay. Uh, How many of you have had your first full-time job? Okay, A lot of you, think of all the wisdom that you have that you don't even think about on a daily basis. After being in youth ministry for six years, I always find it odd when people come to me and say, "Uh, hey, what would you do in this situation? People on the district or people younger in youth ministry, and I'm always kind of like, why are you asking me? Pastor Rex's office is over there. Like, Let me give you the phone. Let me have you talk to Pastor Rex. And sometimes I do that when I don't know the answer. I'm just honest. I don't know. I have no idea what to do. But... You will find that God can use you in ways you would never expect. If you have a learner's heart, if you fear God, if you listen to the right voices, not only will God help you to become wise, but he'll help you to impart your wisdom to those around you. May you leave here tonight knowing that when you face a situation that you don't know the answer to, God knows. When you look at 2015 and there's a situation that you don't know how to solve, May you have a learner's heart. May you realize the things that you don't know and be open to asking other people questions. May you fear God above all else knowing whatever decision you make, you want to make a decision to honor God. And may you know that there are people in your life that are here to mentor you, people that care about you. And may you be willing to extend God's grace in the form of wisdom and advice to those people who God puts in your path. In the name of Christ, may you go and know that He has all the wisdom you need. In Jesus' name, amen.